So um, with that in mind, what we're going to see tonight, the big idea is that he will be our God, meaning God will be our God and our everlasting possession and everlasting inheritance. Uh, and we're going to look specifically at the uh, covenant um, tonight that Abraham gets. This will be the third time covenant is used with Abraham. But this is the most known one and the one that you will see trickled through the rest of Scripture tonight in chapter uh, 17. So um, without further ado, we have a very special honor tonight. Um, our very own Tori Muffley is going to read Genesis 17 for us. So... I have my big font. Can I sum it up for you? No. But after I read it, listen, this is your job. After I read it, you can sum it up for us. Nope. That's nope. Nope. How about, nope. okay. I'm sorry. That down right now. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew says no. Yeah, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. Follow along, please. Yeah, definitely follow along. Okay. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. 
Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the male of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Nice. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this time. We want to give this time up to you. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to speak to us. Father, that with clarity and directness that you would uh, prick our hearts to hear from you tonight, that we would be changed, that we would be convicted, and that we'd be challenged in our, in our following of Jesus tonight, and also to be reminded of how faithfully we are loved. We thank you for all this. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea... God will be our God and our everlasting possession and our everlasting inheritance. So our first question from chapter 17 is, okay, how? How is that going to happen? The first thing I want you to see, there's a lot of things about how in this passage, but the first one I want you to see is the very first verse. Okay, so look at verse one. And what does it say? When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to him what? I am God Almighty. The word here for God Almighty is El Shaddai in the Hebrew. El Shaddai is the word that the Hebrews would have used to point out God's power, to point out his might. What's important from this is this, that he starts off the whole chapter reminding Abraham and us as we're reading this, I am the most powerful. I'm the one that can do it. And I'm the one and only one that will do it. I love, uh, Spurgeon talks about this briefly. He says, what a God we have who knows no variableness, neither shadow of turning against whom none can stand. The word El means the strong one. And the word Shaddai means the unchangeable, the invincible. God is the strong one, the invincible, the unchangeable one. And he starts this whole covenant with the reminder of that. So if you, don't, if you don't get anything from tonight, maybe just take this. That the God that we serve, the God that we follow, is the unchanging, everlasting, invincible, strong one. The second thing I want you to see is... Uh, our call from God, it's in that same verse. It, it continues through in verse two, but says, after he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. He tells Abraham, walk before me and be blameless for this reason, that I may make my covenant between you and me and may multiply you greatly. How do we do this? How Is God going to be our God in our everlasting possession? We are called to walk before him and be blameless. He gives that out to him. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, okay, how in the world am I supposed to be blameless? Okay. 
He wasn't asking Abraham to be perfect. But what he was asking Abraham to do was to walk before him. And as we are in the presence of God, walking before him, we're made blameless. Okay? And the third thing about how is the changing of names, which is very significant here and would have been super significant in this culture. A name means everything. So two names change, right? No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. This is in verse five. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Literally, Abraham means father of multitude of nations. And then the second name change was Sarai to Sarah. And that was, and, uh, verse 15 points this out. And he says, I will bless her in verse 16. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And we know this to be true, right? Not only did literal kings come from her, uh, David, Solomon, many others, but ultimately the king of the universe comes from her line, right? The king Jesus that we know. Okay, but what, what does this signify? He is the one who has given them this new identity, a new name. So he does with us as well. This is where we, why it's significant for us. For you and for me, he has actually given us a new name too. He has renamed us. He has given us a new identity. We are made new in the grace and work of Christ. We are no longer dead or spiritual orphans, but you have a heavenly father and a heavenly inheritance. Your name, who you are has changed. And your future has changed with it in the same way that Abraham and Sarah's has changed. We are his everlasting possession and he is our everlasting God and Father. And that's what significance of the name change means. Now, let's get into the actual covenant that God makes with Abraham in this passage to make his people an everlasting uh, possession. So a couple things. um, If... If this is going to bore you, I'm sorry, but this is super important for those nerds out there that care about this stuff, maybe all of you. I want to review a couple of the elements of the covenant, okay? When a covenant is made, there's, there's things that are a part of that moment that are every covenant. So first, there's representatives. In every covenant, there's, a re- there's representatives. There's also always a sign in every covenant. And then there's conditions And then there's blessing and curse for the obedience or disobedience of those conditions. Okay, and we're going to see that here in the Abraham covenant. Okay, so the representatives, can anyone tell me who are the representatives of this covenant? Yes. Abraham and God. Abraham and God, absolutely. We get that in verses one and two, right? When Abraham was nine years old and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, right there, those are the two representatives. Okay, what are the conditions What are the conditions of this covenant? It's right there in verse 1 and 2 as well. Okay, yeah, but what does verse 1 and 2 say? You're right. What what are the wording that 1 and 2 use? What is it? Yeah, walk before God and to be blameless. Those are the conditions, right? Okay, what's the sign? This should be an easy one. What's the sign of this covenant? 
Okay, that was a motion. I, I'm not going to guess what that was. Circumcision. Circumcision, thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, and we get that in verse 10, right? It says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is the sign of this covenant. And then the last two things, what's the blessing? If obedience is done along with the condition and the sign, right? So to walk before God, be blameless, and to be circumcised and everyone in the people of Israel to be circumcised. What's the blessing that's supposed to come with that? Abraham become a great nation. Okay. So possession of the land, possession of the land, and what else? It says it in verse um, 8. At the very end of verse 8. Okay, yeah, that, those are the same things. So, possession of land, fruitful offspring, yes. I will be their God. Yes, I will be their God. That's the blessing. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. How many of you actually think that's a blessing? Really think about that for a second, right? He says, I will be their God. Okay, but I'm pausing for a second because... I think often we live as though that's not a blessing. That he will be their God. And you know how I know that is because we worship a lot of other things way more often than we worship God. So is it a blessing? I know it is. You know it is. But why do we wander from that? So I want you to think about that too because it's going to come out here in the passage in just a second. And then the curse. What's the curse for disobedience? It's in verse 14. Yep. Say it. Yep. Yep. Um, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The curse is being cut off from God and the land. From God and the land, that's the curse, okay? So we remember that our our big idea that we're getting to is that God is going to be our God and our possession. So let's remember the people this story was first for, right? Because this story wasn't actually written first for us. It was written for someone else first. Who were the people reading this? Does anyone have a guess? Who were the first people that read this story? And where were they? Yeah. Okay. So where were they before they entered the promised land? Wilderness, right? The Israelites in the wilderness is when they're reading this. Okay. So those are the people who were first reading this. How did they fare with with following this covenant and conditions? If you didn't follow the call to circumcision, you were cut off, right? We just talked about that. Well, we have some really awkward news. Moses didn't even circumcise his own son. And an entire generation of Israelites while in the desert were not circumcised. And you know how we know this? If you were to look at Joshua 5, 5 through 7, it says this. 
Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. There has already been a loss. There has already been disobedience. There has already been a breaking of the condition of the covenant. We haven't even made it that far yet, right? Like we're a couple generations in and literally a whole people has forgotten what God has called them to do. Okay, again, a side note here. How many of those people do you think actually knew they were partaking in a cultural disobedience? Or do you think it just became normal that, no, we don't, we don't circumcise anymore? My question to you guys, though, is are we partaking in something similar to the conditions that God has asked us to walk in as new believers? Are we also partaking in something that we just would think, oh, this is, this is okay to do, but it's actually disobedience. So, <clears throat> yikes, this is not great. But God was faithful to his people and allowed them to return to repentance. This is huge. Joshua shows us this repentance in action. And Joshua actually takes all the people together and has everyone circumcised. And right after that, they actually get to go into the land. The land is given to them after repentance and obedience happens. This is a good thing for us. Okay, well, how does this apply to us? How have you fared in following with the new covenant that's been made in Jesus and its conditions? We say, you are my God, right? That would be the obedience to the new covenant, right? Us proclaiming, you are my God. Now, what does that entail? What are the conditions that come with that? Following Jesus, right? Well, <clears throat> what is one way to do this today? And this is, the, this is the connection to this passage for us. Think of a sign for the new covenant. What's the sign of the new covenant that was made in Jesus? Does anyone know? I have a guess. Nope. Yes. Baptism is the new sign of the covenant, of the new covenant, right? It takes the place of circumcision. But what's the big deal with baptism? Like, okay, someone goes to get dunked or they get sprinkled or whatever you want to, um, whatever you believe, right? We, we sprinkle here. Um, but what is the big deal with baptism? The thing signified is vastly more important than the sign. The thing signified is vastly more important than the sign. So what's being signified in the circumcision, but also in baptism for us. What's being signified? Baptism sets forth far more than circumcision. Circumcision is a putting away of the filth of the flesh, but baptism is the burial of the flesh altogether. Baptism does not say, here is something to be taken away, but everything is dead and must be buried with Christ in his tomb. And the man must rest anew with Christ. Baptism is the sign today, like circumcision was the sign for them, that we are called to walk in obedience in baptism. That if you're a believer, one of the signs in the same way he's called us to walk in is what? To be baptized. It's to be baptized. 
If you haven't been baptized and you are a believer, what are you waiting for? The Lord has called you to proclaim what we already said. You are my God and I will trust and follow you. So if you are a believer, God has called us to be baptized and to pronounce to the world that truth. And it's not that baptism is the super important thing, but it's what it signifies. It's what it shows that you have been brought to new life and that the old man is gone and that you have been raised from the dead with Christ. It was Abraham's faith to trust God, not his action that gained him righteousness. The action of the faith is an outworking of the faith we have. We don't receive salvation because we were baptized, but rather we are baptized because we have been given salvation. Salvation doesn't come because we're baptized. I want you to mishear me. Baptism comes because we have been saved. It's a pronouncement. It's a celebration. It's a showing that I've been, again, gone from death to life. We don't receive salvation because we are baptized, but rather because we are baptized. We are baptized because we have been given salvation. Now that we have received salvation through faith, our action and sign is declared in baptism. Okay, so I want to end is the connection verse to the New Testament. I want you all to flip to Romans 4. So in the same way that God has pronounced that he will be the Israelites' God and everything that he has will be given to them as their possession, their inheritance, the same thing is true of us as believers today. And Romans 4 draws these two things together. We're going to start in verse 13 of Romans 4. Verse 13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who fathered us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. That, that phrase right there goes to the statement that he will be made, in him will be made many nations. Many nations will be blessed through him. There was no hope for that, but he hoped in believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb if anyone were to have given up to have thrown in the towel it could have been Abraham it could have been Abraham No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. 
but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That goes back to the very first thing we talked about. It is God, the strong one, the unchanging one that he put his faith in. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. His faith, no disobedience is remembered. I want you to see that. You, you don't see in here that there was disobedience by Abraham because there was. But what we're, what's reported is his faith. And the Lord counts it to him as righteousness. And he, at the end in verse 23, he says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. This is the good news for us that faith, faith is why it's been counted to us as righteousness in the faith in Jesus' work. Do you have faith and trust in the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus? Or have you grown impatient, fearful, selfish, or apathetic to that? This is for those who are following Christ and for those who are not. Even if we're following Christ, we can grow impatient like Abraham and think, all right, God, you promised something. Remember that story about Sarah and Hagar? You've promised something, but it's taken a little too long. I'm going to take it in my own hands and I'm going to control it. I'm going to use the resources that I have to just bring about what you've promised. We do this all the time and we forget that we have to be patient. And sometimes we're fearful, right? Sometimes we're fearful of what are the circumstances that you're going to put me in? What are you going to call me to? And sometimes we're just selfish and apathetic about faith. It's like, yeah, but you're calling me to stuff that's uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't really want all that. And we forget that main thing that he has promised to be our God. And that's what we want. We want him to be our God. He will be our God and our everlasting possession. And the sign of that for them was circumcision. And the sign of that for us is baptism. So we celebrate when people get baptized. It is a huge deal. And if you haven't, I just want to encourage you to do that. As an encouragement to the body and a outpouring, a loud proclamation of who you are now. In the celebration of that here and in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that you would use us as vessels for you. Father, that your love, your faithfulness to us would just be known to our hearts. Even though we are apathetic, we are fearful, we are impatient people, we quickly want to go our own way. Father, thank you so much that Jesus didn't. And that we get to put faith in his perfect righteousness to cover our wandering. And Lord, in faith, we get all the benefits that you will be our God. And we will have the possessions of your inheritance. We thank you for all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. If you guys can help put up the chairs, that'd be great.